Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we take a Texans angle on Super Bowl 56, get some Christian Wood frustration out, and look at the end of an era for a major league baseball tradition. Joining me is my co-host, a fellow H-Town sports junkie, and a veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, did you watch much of the Super Bowl, or were you lighting your please and this baseball lockout candles around the house? <laughs> yeah, well, a little of both, Robert. I did watch the Super Bowl, and I was glad to see that it was a good game. Now, to say I was attentively glued to it, nah, not quite so much, because I had to work on a Sunday. But I did watch it, and it was a good game. I will say that much. Uh, as far as the baseball lockout, uh, we could talk all night about how frustrated I am about that. As you know, I'm as big a baseball fan as you are a basketball fan. Right, and we're going to talk some baseball later on, and I, I, I'm going to get to the the Rockets. Do we have to? <laughs> yeah, well, that's unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have to. They're, they are the, the, the one sport professionally that's going on right now. And it's, you know, you, you watched it, and you weren't the only one that watched the Super Bowl. It was the most watched television show in five years. Yeah, interestingly enough. And, you know, with the Super Bowl, you just never know from year to year. It's It's probably the... The most hyped event in sports, but it doesn't always live up to the hype. But I'm very glad to say that it was. And, you know, the, the Rams and the Bengals both have been in Super Bowls and have had some good games, Yeah, where, where the games themselves have been good. So, yeah, it was quite a treat. It was close. It depends on what you think of a good game, whether it was a good game. But I loved some of the Texans' angles in this one. There's nothing more Texans than Vernon Hargraves who's uh -huh. inactive and in yeah. street clothes, somehow still getting a personal foul penalty. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? I, you know, I mean, you consider the source, I guess, Vernon Hargraves. You know, that's just one of the many reasons he's probably no longer with the Texans. Oh, my God. He's he, he's out there with, like, flip-flops or something, and he's running into <laughs> the end zone. I'm like, who is that? Oh, that's Vernon. Oh, that's the Texan. Oh, it's, well, yeah, of course. Well, it's good a thing nobody stepped on his on his foot or, uh, yeah, he wouldn't be running anywhere. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> Another thing that made me think of the Texans, the Bengals pulled the old Chris Brown play. Remember when Kubiak tried the half-pack pass near the goal line with Chris Brown against the Jags? Remember that one? Oh, gosh. I, I'd, I'd almost forgotten about it, but how could I forget? How embarrassing was that? Yeah, somehow it worked for the Bengals, but remember it was like this guy named Gerald Alexander, if anybody remembers the name, he intercepted that Chris Brown pass back in 2009. They made fun of Kubiak and all that, but you know, the Bengals, you know, they're, they 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 couldn't do much wrong most of the postseason and I can't think of anything that made anybody think of the Texans on Sunday more than that I mean that play is just it, it was it's kind of a symbol, you know, in that especially in that first decade of the Texans' ineptitude. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's probably, it certainly ranks up there with, uh, you know, the Sage Rosenfeld's copter oh, play. Yeah. That that was definitely, yeah, those two plays, Robert, I think you'd have to point to as, as probably the two worst plays in Texans' history uh, to this point. And unfortunately, you know, with the Texans being the way they are, uh, we're probably going to see more of those than we are spectacular plays. Right. I, I should have, you know, put that one at the top, right, the Rosencopter, but... Uh, definitely Chris Brown is, you said it, it's number two, easily uh, with a big flourish at the end. And and what usually <laughs> happens in the Super Bowl, Stephen, the team I root for, they lose. Yeah. And in, 
in this case, I was rooting against obnoxious L.A. sports fan. Yeah, yeah, I was rooting for the Bengals. Although I have to say, though, I you know, with Matt Stafford being with the Lions, you know, it was good that he got a chance to be in the Super Bowl and, and win the Super Bowl. But, you know, being from Houston, Robert, of course, I live in Austin now, but being a native Houstonian, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of L.A., you know, New York sports at all. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, you said it, though. I mean, Matt Stafford suffered a lot with the Lions. You can't root against him getting this after all he's gone through. You can't root against their J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, who's an all-time legendary defensive lineman. And then you can't root against the NFL Man of the Year, Andrew Whitworth. Anybody that saw his speech <laughs> for the Man of the Year, that was extraordinary. And he's been around forever and just one of the best guys in the league. Yeah, he certainly is. And, and you know, the thing about Aaron Donald is, yeah, the Bengals maybe shouldn't have uh, gotten him all fired up when they had that little incident during the game because he was struggling a little bit before that. But, boy, he, he turned on the afterburners afterwards. And the best thing for him is he got his ring. Yeah, and the thing is, I, I, I didn't think Matt Stafford had anything spectacular of a day. I thought Aaron Donald, you give him the MVP. I mean, they're, they're in the backfield the whole time. I mean, nobody was under more pressure, I think, in a Super Bowl than Joe Burrow was. No, and we've been talking about that throughout the whole playoffs. Is, you know, how long is it going to take before they really start getting after Burrow and it costs him? Well, it, it did cost him, but still, you know, the Bengals played hard through that whole game. And Burrow, I mean, I had to root for him, too, being such a young quarterback and, uh, you know, just coming back the way he did from that injury. But, yeah, it, it finally just got to be too much. That Rams defense, I mean, it's solid all the way through. So Burrow was running for his life, but but he still, it, you know, even on that fourth down play toward the end of the game, I mean, he was bound and determined he was going to get that pass off. It was incomplete. But, you, you know, you got to give him an A for effort on that. Yeah, the only huge mistake that I saw from Burrow is that fourth down in the first half, he misses a wide-open guy, makes the wrong read, throws it into a crowd. But Burrow was pretty rock-solid considering everything. And, of course, by the end of the game, he's all banged up. And, you know, can I interest the Bengals in a Laramie Tunsil for a first-round pick? Uh, hey, we got a Laramie Tunsil to, to give you. Do you want some of that? <laughs> yeah, I bet Joe Burrow would be more than interested in uh, having Laramie Tunsil on his side, don't you think? Oh, my goodness, that that offensive line, it, it's Texan-esque. And, yeah, it, it looked terrible. And, and and if anybody's interested, by the way, the Texans have the longest odds to win the Super Bowl, according to Bet Online. This is the second straight year they've got the worst odds, <laughs> 150 to 1, along with the Lions. But, Stephen— Is that all? 150? I thought it'd be, like, in the 1,000, like 1,000 to 1 or something. Put, hey, put your bet down, because the Bengals were 125 <laughs> to 1 to win this year so maybe there's hope they actually had the same odds as the jets and jags this year the Bengals did if anybody forgot yeah but it's still the texans i'm not sure i'm willing to be have that much nerve to place a bet on the texans no i i can't i can't see it yet a dollar will get you 150 if you win <laughs> but um maybe i buried the lead we, we had an original houston texan get in the hall of fame in the last week did you see that yeah that's right that's right Congrats to Tony Baselli. I, I can't recall one sack he allowed here. David Carr can't blame him. He was perfect, right? He was perfect <laughs> because he never played for the Texans. Oh, he was with them, yes, but he, he never played. You know, I just I remember all the hype leading up, you know, when the Texans being the, the first player they got, just how excited everybody was. Wow, they got Tony Baselli. You know, he's that that's a great way to start the team. He's going to help them so much. Never stepped on the field.
He fits right into today's Houston sports. He's the John Wall. He is the Ed Reed. Uh, Ed Reed. Uh, well, not Ed Reed. I'm thinking of the guys that aren't pay, are, are we're paying and we're and they're not playing like Deshaun Watson. He did play, but not for very long, and he wasn't that effective. But yeah, he he's more like Deshaun Watson and 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 John Wall. And you know, there was no Andre Johnson in the Hall of Fame this year. First ballot, couldn't get in, but there was a receiver with Houston ties. Worthing High School's Cliff Branch finally got in. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. So, you know, that's the sad part of the deal. But his resume ain't bad, Stephen. In a four-year span, he made four Pro Bowls and was a three-time All-Pro wide receiver. So a lot was compacted in that little short mid-70s era. He was also a three-time Super Bowl champion. The Raiders grabbed him in the fourth round. And wouldn't it be nice if the Texans nailed their fourth round pick in a couple months just like that? Yeah, it certainly would be. And it was, you know, a bit surprising that Cliff Branch didn't get in sooner, you know, especially with the Super Bowls. And of course, yes, he had quite a cast around him. And it is a shame that Andre didn't. I, I think he will get in, but I, I don't think any of the first, yeah, none of the first year finalists got in, you know, including Johnson. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, Cliff Branch died, I believe, in 2019. So he missed it by three years of getting in, you know, while he was still alive. couple of great branch stories that I found. They knew Cliff could run when at a picnic, a July 4th company picnic that his dad's company had. He beat everybody in a race. There were kids of all ages. His big prize for doing it was a box of Chinese checkers. So he was really excited about the Chinese yeah, checkers. And I didn't realize this until I read it last week, but Raiders owner Mark Davis said Cliff Branch was his best friend. Of course, Branch... Mm died a couple of years ago and you know you can imagine that Mark Davis had a lot to say about him finally getting in the Hall of Fame. He said that Branch was in Las Vegas helping victims of that awful shooting a few years ago, remember in Las Vegas? Yeah. And yeah. that was just 2 days. He was there 2 days helping people after he lost his house in the Santa Rosa, California wildfires. Yeah, quite a guy. It'll be interesting to see who accepts, you know, on his behalf when the Hall of Fame does come around that in, in the summer. He has a younger sister, and his younger sister said if Branch was still alive when he was elected into Canton, she was planning to go on Amazon and get him a game of Chinese checkers as a gift. Oh, so that's great. Yeah, that is a great story. Great story and a great guy. Oh, there's one huge story with the Texans this week that I almost forgot. Safety Jonathan Owens got engaged on Valentine's Day, Stephen. Yeah, Mr. Simone, ba I did see that. I That was one of the, uh, that's probably one of the best tweets that I've seen in a while that came from Simone Biles. And I don't have it in front of me, but it was, it was something like I woke up a fiance or woke up with a ring, <laughs> something like that. That was the first thing that definitely caught my attention. Is she Simone Owens now? Is that it? Well, yeah, I, I imagine so. But, you know, maybe in this case, it should be in reverse. It should, it should be Jonathan Biles, don't you think? Well, you know, I, I don't I don't know if we're going to get some cards and letters for what you just said, but it, <laughs> it, I don't know. I, I've got one question for you, though. Does this make Levy Smith Simone's grandfather-in-law? Hey, it might. <laughs> it very well might. <laughs> <laughs> just a thought. Uh, let's move to the Rockets because just a ton of stuff to talk about over the last week. We we had some instant reaction after the Rockets trade deadline with Ben DuBose last week. What were your feelings on Gordon and Wood 
still being in Houston after the deadline passed. Well, as far as Gordon, I, I mean, I'm not that upset about it, Robert. And, and to be truthful, I just wasn't that surprised. I mean, I kept hoping that the Rockets would make some kind of a move with Christian Wood, because I know we've talked about it time and time again about, you know, whether he's a good fit for this team and that he needs to move on. But it, yeah, unfortunately, it just it doesn't surprise me that this happened. As far as Eric Gordon, I'm really not that upset about it. Sure, it would have been nice to get some assets for him and move him. But the fact is that He's probably the most consistent player the Rockets have when he's in the lineup. Okay, so I just want to zero in on the Christian Wood, and I kind of agree with a little bit about what you said on Eric Gordon, but he's just making me throw up in my mouth a lot these days, and he's one of the more frustrating Rockets that I can remember. Last year, I was much more of a fan. He he wasn't perfect, Stephen, but he appeared to be a real value for his salary and skill set. He's gone from kind of cool to incredibly infuriating. The only thing he does consistently each night is not play defense and be a selfish ball hog on offense. I mean, it, it's getting, it feels like it gets worse by each game. And you see Stephen Jalen Green getting more and more frustrated with him. And our friend with Locked on Rockets, Jackson Gatlin, made the point that Green is ninth in touches as a rookie. He's even behind Sacramento's Davian Mitchell, who's come off the bench all year. So that tells you that it's an issue with wood and green. And, and you can see there, there's stuff going on, and it's very visible. Yeah, and I just don't understand why Coach Steven Silas is not stepping up and, and dealing with us a little more directly. I mean, this is something that, yeah, it's it's on Christian Wood, absolutely. But I think it's also on the coaching you know, to, to get him in the right frame of mind because, yeah, Jalen Green should be having way more touches than that. While I'm not somebody, Stephen, who just wants to hand Jalen 36 minutes a night, you're the same way, I think. Right. You, you, you don't want to just hand it to him and run the offense through him. But if you've made the decision to start him and play in these kind of minutes, then he needs to get the ball in his hands more. That should be an edict, like you said, from the coaching staff and the management. And as far as Christian Wood... I'm fine with him being the starter considering your roster and what you've got on there, but I'm not just handing him an automatic 32 minutes a night the way Steven Silas tends to do on the occasions where he's being selfish because you got Shangoon that you can develop and you can throw out there. Yeah, and, and I just think from a confidence standpoint, Robert, that's that's another reason it needs to happen. I mean, we've talked about Jalen Green's ineffectiveness, and I just I believe some of it is due to this situation with Christian Wood. I, you know, I mean, obviously much of it is on Jalen Green, but some of it isn't. And, and I think if this situation were dealt with in the right way, Jalen would get more touches. He would be able to get better, get more confidence, and maybe be more consistent. I thought something was going to change after, you know, that whole incident, but it, it really hasn't. And Jalen Green, I got to throw him some candy and flowers on Valentine's week because his defense is looking a little bit better these days. He's he's really fighting through stuff and he's you know, he's being a little bit more of a pest, which which hey, that's a good sign. It's a good that's the rare good sign these days. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that if you have the aptitude that you want to do it, then you know, chances are, especially as young as as Jalen is, that he's going to get better over time playing good defense. So here we go. The Dennis Schroeder for Daniel Tice trade. Now, love them ditching the Tice contract, but I'm still shocked the Rockets didn't buy him out. And Steven, I don't mind playing a veteran point guard. As I've said, I really like having vets with young players. No need to just hand 19 and 20-year-olds major minutes and let them suck 
out there with no direction. However, my concern is I'm not sure Schroeder is the vet I want out there showing the way. Yeah, I'm, the, I was, I'm with you, Robert. I'm the same way. And I, I was really hoping that something could make way where the Rockets, you know, could get a little more help up front. I mean, that's kind of what I was looking for. But, yeah, when I saw Dennis Schroeder, I was like, wow, of all the players, of, of all the veteran players that they would get, it would be Dennis Schroeder. But as you said, they did dump the Tice contract, which needed to happen. All right. Jay Sean Tate, um, he is becoming way too much of a liability on offense to be a starter on a good playoff team. If you're looking big picture with Jay Sean Tate, I know you go on Twitter, your Rockets fans, they, they love him to death. And yeah, he, he's got the defense. He's out there putting effort all the time, but he's just an awful shooter. And this is 2022. He's 26 years old. The odds, Stephen, of him figuring out a jump shot are at about 5% or lower right now. So if you can package him, and this is a thought, if you can package him with Eric Gordon or Christian Wood in the offseason to sweeten the return on a trade a little bit, you know, I'd have to do it in a heartbeat because, you know, you you could trade bench guys. Ask Daryl Morey. He didn't care. (laughs) Yeah, he certainly didn't. And it's a shame, Robert, because, I mean, we liked him. We talked about him a lot last year. And just, you know, his intensity and his hustle. But I, I think I, I thought at the time that his shooting would get better. But over time, it, it just hasn't. I, I don't know that the Rockets, you know, I'm not saying he's untouchable by any means, but I don't get the sense that the Rockets would be looking to deal him even in the offseason. But you never know. Yeah, just something to think about because he's on a small contract. Other teams might look at that as, as a good thing. And, you know, a playoff team, like I said, He's not a starter, but he's the kind of guy that you want on a playoff team, and he could be a really, really good backup. Uh, speaking, I was speaking to Daryl Morey just a bit ago. This is really interesting. So James Harden said he wanted to go to the Sixers all along. He didn't want to go to the Nets. There are stories out there where he's still out partying, not taking flights with the team. Steven, I, I just look at what's going on with James Harden and you saw the big James Harden, Daryl Morey hug and what's going on with Daryl Morey. Look, Morey's reputation was made by Harden. So I can see what he's thinking, but I can also see that both of their reputations could be undone by James Harden. Both of them look worse and worse with every second. Well, that's right. But tell either one of them that, I mean, it's an obvious love fest between them and, I think we knew when James Harden was traded, He's James Harden is always going to be James Harden. I mean, at this point in his career, he's not about to change. And unless somebody that just has the kind of persuasion that none of us have, Robert, can get a hold of him and, and really start making him play the way James Harden would, the way we kept hoping he would play, especially in the postseason. But it's obvious, you know, you talk about selfish players. Well, James Harden has those selfish tendencies too. And I think that you know, in so many reasons, that's why the Rockets stopped short the way they did is because of those selfish tendencies. And, well, you know, he obviously still showed him in Brooklyn. And, and, you know, now that he comes out and he says, oh, I wanted to be with the Sixers all along. <laughs> really? I mean, is that is he trying to be political now or is is he really just James Harden being James Harden? Man, I'm I'm glad he's gone. I, I didn't like rooting for him, as as you know. Well, that's true. I mean, I know you talked about how this this could hurt the Rockets draft picks and all. And, and that may be true, but. Uh, you know, I, I just I guess I'm not losing any sleep over that so much as well. 
he's with the Sixers now, but you know, is he going to help them to a championship? I'm, I'm still not convinced that even with Ben Simmons and him hooking up, that it just don't see how that's going to happen. And you know what? Joel Embiid is not going to be afraid of crushing him in public. Yeah, and I meant Joel Embiid. I'm sorry, I meant to say Embiid, not Simmons, because Simmons, of course, got traded. So, yeah, you're right. And, and the thing with Embiid, you put that together with James Harden. I mean, that's just not a combination that is going to scare me into thinking they're going to win a championship. Oh, I love Embiid. But, yeah, I I just don't see those guys getting along because Joel Embiid is not going to put up with a lot of crap. And, I, you know, well, I don't see him getting along because James Harden doesn't get along with anybody, does he? Well, no, he doesn't. That That's the other thing is I don't know that the chemistry is going to be there between those two because I have yet to see who does James Harden have chemistry with himself? Yeah. And yeah, I, I OK, that that's their problem. I, I got to get one more thought in on the Rockets and, and Steven Silas. And, you know, we talked about him before. And there's just one other point that. I think is worth making on Silas Steven. When I watch the Rockets, I, I, I see the longer this thing goes on, my frustration is also with the idea that he just doesn't have a real sense of who's who in the rotation, who should get shots. Like we talked earlier about with Wood and Jalen Green. He doesn't set it up to where, okay, this is your role, that's your role, that's your role. He doesn't do that. So when you have that, they th- there isn't that, uh, okay, what should I do? And, and I know you're trying to figure out what, what these young guys are, but I think you just got to try to put them into this is what you're going to do. And that's what you're, and you know, who's going to be the main guy and who's going to be the secondary guy and who's going to be the third guy. And maybe it's, I'm frustrated with how he's setting those up, but it's also, I feel like it, it, it kind of changes from game to game and, and week to week, you know, the, the other night where he's putting Schroeder out there and, and you're like, well, what happened to Josh Christopher? Because he's been playing great. You'd barely played him. And then it was, you know, he gave some excuse, but I'm like, how is Josh Christopher, the guy that's been maybe your most consistent bench player, the guy that gets screwed in all of this. And it, it's like, he can't figure out which direction he's going to go with roles. And, that, and that's been a big problem. You know, I almost kind of wonder, Robert, is it is he is he just losing confidence in his ability to to find the right combination? Because it's almost like he's trying to play mix and match to see what works. And unfortunately, really nothing is working, <laughs> no matter who you put in there, no matter what combination. I mean, it, it's just kind of like he doesn't give it long enough to, to gel. And yeah, and it's almost, you know, Josh Christopher is playing well and you penalize him by pulling him back his minutes. So I, I just feel like it, it's just not only a confidence factor with him, Robert, I, I just don't know. I, I, I feel like from the X's and O's standpoint, you know, he should be a pretty smart guy, but I'm just not seeing it in his less than two seasons as Rockets head coach. I, I, I keep waiting for this epiphany, or I don't, I don't know what I'm waiting for, you know, this, this offensive genius to come to light. And to be honest, I, I have not seen it in the year and a half or so since he's taken over as head coach. It's just not good. And I don't know. We'll we'll get back to more Rockets as the season goes along because we're going to have to keep trying to come up with angles on just dissecting how bad they are, Stephen, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's, it's just getting more and more painful to watch, Robert. And, you know, as I told you before, I don't get to watch them on television because I'm in Austin and I don't get AT&T Sportsnet. Uh, but I do keep up with them and I 
listen to the radio broadcasts every now and then. And it's just getting harder and harder to to find, as you pointed out before we started recording, that I'm I'm the eternal optimist. You know, I'm I'm looking for good things. You know, this guy's doing great. This guy's doing well. Well, I, I'm fine. I'm running out of things to talk about then, Robert, because it's getting harder to find those things with the Rockets right now. Yeah, and if you listen to a game every now and then, Stephen, you know what's going on because you don't have to watch every game or listen to every game. They make the same mistakes over and over again. And right. you just said something that's really critical here. The Rockets are getting super hard to watch with every single game. And this is a team that should be showing improvement. If you have young guys, typically you start to see improvement as the year goes on. But it just seems like you can count on them being down by 20 or 30 on a nightly basis, you know, by the time it's halftime or, you know, it, it, it immediately something goes wrong in the first half and the wheels fall off. Well, it almost makes me wonder, did we over project some of these guys or at least, you know, the way that maybe they could mesh together? I mean, look at. Christian Wood and you know, all the stuff that we've talked about him. You know, Sengun started out well, but you know now he's basically struggling. So I, I just wonder, you know, maybe we overprojected the excitement. I, I don't think we expected this team to win a lot of games, Robert. I'm not saying that, but maybe we overprojected the intensity and excitement that this team would provide. Well, there's a reason that we did because Jalen Green and Sengun looked great in the summer league. They looked great in the preseason. Shangun carried it on to the regular season. Maybe Jalen Green didn't, but you figured you would see this improvement on a week-to-week and a month-to-month basis. And it's just been, with Green, it's just been slower. Josh Christopher, though, you know, he's improved. The, the real frustration is somebody like Christian Wood that, you know, I just went through all of that. That's the real frustration right. is with a guy right. like him and a guy like Jay Sean Tate, who you thought you would see some more improvement from, and somebody like even Kevin Martin or, or KJ Martin, that's another guy that you thought, okay, you're going to see some more improvement, at least in his shot, and it, and it hasn't happened this year. I mean, Martin has been solid, but I'm not seeing the jump in his outside shot and in his offensive game that I was hoping to see. And and, and same goes for Jay Sean Tate's off, offensive game with that outside shot. It, it, it hasn't happened this year at all. All, neither one of them. Well, I always, I, I, at least I try to temper my enthusiasm when it comes to the summer league and preseason. But I, but I see your point. And I think, it, you know, we did see some good things going in. But as the season's gone along, you know, that intensity is going to go down, especially when you're losing as many games as the Rockets are. But again, I, I have to point to the coaching. I just think that it, it may not be 100% the coaching, but a lot of it is, in my opinion, as to why you're not seeing the kind of improvement that you should. We're going to see what's going to happen in this offseason with, with Silas. And, uh, you know, if this continues into next year, at some point, Silas's job has got to be a little bit in jeopardy. And I, I'm I'm kind of done with the Rockets in this one, but we'll get back to them as the weeks progress and as I see things and if there's more to sort of dissect with everything. But the one basketball program in Houston that was just so incredible this year had a very rough week. The Houston Cougar basketball team, Lost a couple of games. They pick up back-to-back losses for the first time since 2017. Five years. It's their first home loss in two years. And, Stephen, I'm going to start off with the Memphis game. That did not look like the Cougar team I'm used to, especially on defense. Boy, it sure didn't. You know, And, and the fact that Kelvin Sampson prides himself on defense, and you look at that Cincinnati game, to me, that was... 
That was one of the best defensive performances in conference play. You mean that? You mean SMU? SMU? Well, no, I'm talking about the Cincinnati game that they won so easily. They played such great defense. Oh, okay, you're going back. Yeah, and that it just how incredible that was. One of the best defensive performances in conference play I've ever seen. And then they come up against SMU and and Memphis. Yeah, like you said, I, I mean, it was almost like we were watching two totally different teams. Like another team just took the floor. Kelvin Sampson wasn't the coach. Somebody else came in because it, it was like a tale of two different teams. And yeah, that was very puzzling. And you go back to the SMU game last week, and, and that one frustrated me for a totally different reason because they looked in total control in the first half. It was the same old Cougars, still had control early in the second half, but then this is where it went off the rails. Sampson went to his own defense the rest of the game, and that was a disaster. And I just didn't understand that. That's not their identity. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, get out, get out, get out, get out of it. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And he just did not. He stayed with it the whole rest of the game. It was like the last 10 minutes. Yeah, boy, when was the last time we criticized Kelvin Sampson for defense or or for anything for that matter? Uh, It was, uh, yeah, it was a strange week for sure. I mean, I still think the Cougars are going to be okay. I'll be honest. I mean, I kept waiting for the ax to fall with all the injuries they've had and, you know, all the shuttling in and out of the lineup they've had to do. They've held their own, but, you know, as you get deeper into conference play and then, of course, getting into tournament time, you know, that's that's when you're going to have to worry is, you know, is some of that coming into play and is going to start affecting the team. But I still have high hopes, you know, that they're going to do well down the stretch. You know, perhaps maybe they needed this to happen, Robert, because if they get hot down the stretch, that's when you want them to be. You get into the conference tournament then the NCAA tournament, and maybe that's the time they'll peak. And they'll do well. But I have to admit, I'm a little bit worried after this past week. Yeah, they stubbed their toe and we knew it was going to be tough to keep this up because they didn't have the depth that they normally have. And Kelvin runs them into the ground on a regular basis. And you could say, well, he, he's got him in as good a shape as you can get him. And that's going to be needed when you've got a short bench. But it, it's also an issue when you've got a short bench that these guys are run as hard as they are and they depend on hustle and this is a team that absolutely more than anybody depends on hustle doggedness and non-stop determination and that's hard to keep up on a consistent basis especially when you don't have the guys you don't have the the horses out there well you might say that yeah if you had a deeper bench then you could you could have hard practices and run all out but look it's hard to hustle when you're exhausted or over exhausted and I don't know if that's what the problem is. I mean, I guess we'll we'll see as time goes on. But yeah, if there's one thing I'd have to point to with Samson is that, you know, maybe sometimes that intensity factor can be a little bit much, especially down the stretch. I'm not saying take it easy on the guys, but maybe pace themselves a little bit better as you get toward the end of the season and in a tournament time. The one positive that I'm seeing is Tajay Moore is more and more impressive with every single game. He is super talented and he's got size and just he's a real interesting guy to watch. Just totally different. That, that left-handed shot. And I mean, he is somebody that's going to turn into something under Kelvin Sampson. And, and that's fun to watch. Yeah. You talk about a guy that's really stepped up. And you think about it. If he hadn't, you know, where would the Cougars be without it? It's because, yeah, he it, talk about a player who's improving. You know, we talk about Josh Christopher with the Rockets. Well, uh, Moore is definitely the guy for the Cougars who's improving every game. All right, let's get to baseball and not really much with the Astros (laughs) as far as news goes, but it's official. The DH is now universal across baseball. No surprise. We expected it. And frankly, 
My favorite thing about moving to the American League, Stephen, has been the pitchers not batting because I hate, 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 hate watching pitchers bat. You know, it only took 45 years for them to decide that both leagues need to be under the same rule. I mean, that that just kind of shows you the kind of leadership baseball is in right now or has been. I have to admit, Robert, and, and I don't know why, I guess because when I grew up, I was used to National League ball. It was the only thing I saw for the most part when the Astros were in the National League. You know, I, I kind of felt like, you know, let the pitchers bat. Yeah, I know they're weak, but you never know when they can come through. But as time went on, and especially after the Astros got in the American League, yeah, I was all in with the DH. And then my biggest gripe was, you know, why do you have two different leagues doing two different things, especially when it comes to interleague play that they introduced, you know, well, well after the DH rule was voted on in the American League. And then you have the World Series where if the National League is the home team, then you can't have the DH. I mean, it's silly. It's absolutely silly. Well, at least we don't have to worry about that now. You're under one rule for both leagues. That's the way it should have been a long time ago, and I'm fine with it. If you people out there are old-school Astros fans and you saw former Astros pitcher Jimmy Deshays try to hit baseballs, you know how apropos (laughs) and hilarious his tweet was this week. He said, quote, to the extent that I contributed to the demise of pitchers batting, I offer a heartfelt apology. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jim Deshays, maybe, but I think there are hundreds of other pitchers that are probably chiming in and saying the same thing. And I mean, you know, I I mean, when I when I first started following the Astros, you know, I remember there were a couple of pitchers, they they weren't great hitters by any means, but every once in a while, you know, they could come up and hit a home run. I mean, I remember a pitcher by the name of Tom Griffin, who I, I saw him hit a home run, and there were a few others, but yeah, let's be honest, there just aren't too many pitchers that are going to do that. And in you know the time that we live in, where it's offense, 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 yeah, that's just not something that fans want to see. They they want to see hitting and good hitting. Any idea which Astros pitcher had the most home runs, Stephen? Did you see this on my Twitter feed? I did not see it, and I was just trying to think about that when I was thinking about some of those pitchers that uh, you know you did occasionally see hit home runs. Got to credit Brian McTaggart for this one. McTagg said that J.R. Richard, with 10 home runs, was the Astros' all-time leader. He doubled up, doubled up the next two on the list, Shane Reynolds and Bob Nepper, who both had five. Oh, and Roy Hoffines' grandson reminded me with a Twitter post that Nolan Ryan's first career home run was in his very first game as a Houston Astro. Because remember with the angels, he was in the American league and then he was with the Mets really early in his career. Didn't get a chance to start much. He did it against the Dodgers in that first Astros game that he played, which was led by one dusty Baker. Wow. Dusty just keeps coming up in every trivia question we ask about, you know, (laughs) guys back then. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I thought of Jr. I, I wasn't I guess I'd forgotten that he was the leader. I knew he was up there. And of course, you know, Shane Reynolds is another good hitter. So it doesn't surprise me that I, actually I thought he might have had a few more than five. You said he had five home runs. Shane and Bob Nepper both had Bob five, Nepper. Yeah. yeah, Bob Nepper was a pretty good hitter, too. Nepper, if people don't remember him or you're too young, which is pretty much everybody except you and me, Stephen. But <laughs> if, if you're too young, Bob Nepper was. He was the Mike Hampton, and then we can take that over to 
uh, Dallas Keuchel. You yeah. know, they did. Yeah. Those are the guys that just did everything well: fielding, hitting. You know, they, they they did as much as they could. They were, you know, not the hardest throwing guys, but they just knew how to pitch and they knew how to do everything else well. Yeah, he was a finesse pitcher, and I mean, he had a few good seasons. He ran into some trouble later on, and it was kind of a kind of a quirky personality. But then, you know, a lot of left-handers are, so I guess that that's kind of how it is. But yeah, Bob Nepper, one of those names you you almost forget, but. He's, he certainly had some great seasons in an Astros uniform. Well, maybe Hollinier should have left him in game six of the Mets series in the ninth inning. You know what I mean? Yeah, there is that. There is that. Uh, they didn't like facing him, and he pretty much owned the Mets. I mean, he was fantastic against them, and Dave Smith was just the opposite. And he take they take out Nepper. Hollinier takes out Nepper, and then he puts in Dave Smith, and then it all went south well it there, i mean i think there was a couple of hits right and then they brought in Dave yeah Smith. yeah they did and and the thing is is you know you brought it if you had kept bob nepper in and he had won that game the mets didn't want to face him well then that would have been a game seven and they would have had to face Mac, mike scott something else that the mets didn't want to do but what if what if you know we, we can sit here and talk about that all day long but that's not what happened all right there was one other story in in all of the baseball news this week and as usual baseball doesn't look too good because of this what was that story Stephen? yeah i mean there's definitely not much good news I and mean, you know it doesn't look like the season's going to start on time i mean they're supposed to report it to spring training by now and nothing is happening you know the, the only thing that i saw really is you know now mlb is talking about wanting to cut even more minor league jobs something that they already did a couple of years ago when they shaved off a bunch of teams but now i think they're starting to even want to cut some of the jobs in the minor leagues and even fewer players. So, you know, that's something that obviously the union's going to have to approve. And judging from the fact that I think this past week they only met for an hour, you know, judging from all the negotiating that they've done or what little they've done, yeah, that's probably not going to go over too well with the union either. Yeah, it's just, uh, it seems like a whole system that can't do anything but just throw bad publicity on top of bad publicity. <laughs> Yeah. I, and this is just the stuff. I think I saw something today, you know, just the, the poor leadership. Oh, it was Brian T. Smith's column just talking about the poor leadership, how Rob Manford just keeps swinging and missing on everything that's going wrong with baseball and that his ego is getting in the way. I mean, this obviously isn't the first work stoppage and probably won't be the last. But with baseball declining in popularity, you know, I think one of the things he pointed out is that once the Super Bowl is over, baseball fans like me start thinking, oh, Spring training, it's just around the corner. Yeah, football season's over, but baseball's coming. Well, unless you're a fan of uh, college baseball, which is starting up next week, and the minor leagues, it'll be starting soon. Yeah, you're not going to have much to look forward to, certainly in the way of MLB anytime soon. Rob Manford, still the commissioner. Uh, and, and, yeah. and let me let me just throw this out there, Stephen. What has he done that makes anybody happy? Because if you're... Major League Baseball owners, and those are basically his boss. What gets you excited about Rob Manford? Because everybody hates everything that he's done. And he's the toady, but you can, if it's a toady you need, you can always find another toady. Just flip it. Give us another name. Throw somebody else in there. But I, I just don't get it. I don't get why he's just, you know, it seems like nobody likes him. He's 100%. You know, he did the whole cheating scandal so bad that, Astros fans hate him, and then everybody else hates him too. Well, that's true, Robert, but here's the thing you got to remember is that these owners, I think the owners have a lot to do with the shape that baseball is in. It's it's not only the commissioner, but you know, I, I honestly think the power of the commissioner, especially in baseball, 
has diminished. And a lot of that, I think, you know, it has to do with the owners and how that hard they, the hard line that they dig in. Yeah, he's made poor decisions. I'm, I'm not defending him, not to the hilt by any means. I, I just think it's a collective effort. I think it's, you know, between Rob Manford and between the majority of the owners, the views that they have on how they market baseball or don't, you know, in the right way, and just how they dig in and refuse to give in to the union's demands and some of the things the union's asking for. I, I think it's just a combination of both is the reason that baseball is on a downhill slide when it comes to appeal, when it comes to marketing, when you compare it to football and even basketball and some of the other sports that are making a climb. Who's hated more, Rob Manford or the International Olympic Committee? I oh, mean, my. what a fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, if, you know, now part of this, of course, if you're talking about the um, the doping scandal involving uh, the Russian figure skater, that that really, as much as the IOC has probably mishandled this whole thing, you know, the court ruling is kind of what's decided that she gets to skate, despite the fact that she flunked a doping test. And let's make it clear, the Russians are not the Astros. <laughs> uh, no, they're not the Astros. But listen, you know, they they were banned, at least, you know, the country itself was banned from Olympic competition. So what do they do? They just form an independent team and put them out there and get around it that way. And now you, you have a Russian skater who obviously, you know, they, they come up with all kinds of things that, oh, it was a blood drug or something that was contaminated. I mean, they're always going to come up with something about it. Yeah, it's just an ugly situation. And it, it puts a black mark on the IOC and the Olympics in general. Yeah, the reason I, I don't think it's the same as the Astros is I just don't think every other country is doing it. And we know that the Astros weren't the only ones doing it. So that's the big difference that I see with the Russians and everybody else. And I, th there isn't that thing where the Russians are like, hey, everybody else, you know, you don't hear the Russians saying, man, maybe they're saying that and we're just not hearing about it over here. But I, I haven't heard that. Well, I haven't heard that either, but I think what they're they're just trying to find a way around the system. That's that's what I think they've done by what do they call it? The Russian Olympic Committee, and with the Paralympics, it's uh, the RPC. You know, that's how they're getting around this whole thing. And gee, I wonder, you know, how could a court rule when it was so obvious that she flunked the test and allow her to skate anyway? I'm sure there are conspiracy theorists out there that are kind of wondering, you know, the Russians in cahoots with, uh, you know, the, the judge in the court. <laughs> Who knows? But it's an ugly situation no matter how you look at it. I would talk about the Olympics, but frankly, it's been pretty boring from an American standpoint for the most part. There's a couple wins here and there, but it, and there's not the personalities that typically come out of the Olympics like there usually is. I don't know. There's not, there's not that particular person that everybody's talking about and, oh, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be the Wheaties box person. Yeah, there really isn't. I, I think you see more of that in the summer games. You know, we've obviously had some great Winter Olympic performances in the past, you know, in the, in the hockey and even in the figure skating and speed skating that, you know, this month marks the 20th anniversary of uh, the Salt Lake Games and all those big performances then in 2002. You know, you had Ono and speed skating and uh, numerous others. But, yeah, you, you're not seeing a lot of those names jumping out at you. And the ones that are, you know, we talked about Michaela Schifrin, you know, a lot of high hopes for her, disappointment there. Karen Chen, I think, is another one that, you know, didn't do quite as well. But there have been some good performances. I know, you know, but both the hockey teams are doing well. I think the U.S. Uh, curling team is doing well. But it's just not something that we're going to be glued to, I think, 
at least recently, the way we are in the summer games. Typically, it's the figure skaters and the skiers that really yeah. grab your attention. And, right. you know, we had Sean White, which was really unusual uh, in, in that particular sport. Uh, maybe somebody uh, from that sport could have done it or something like that. But it's just, I don't know. It, 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 it seems to be uh, that there's just not the interest. I don't get the feeling from talking to people about it. And, yeah, it, it's not the same. Uh, and, Stephen... The the thing with the Americans right now and, and the Olympics are it's it's real hard to kind of follow everything that's going on because this is another one of those Olympics where there's that you got that weird time change, you're twelve hours. So sometimes you're seeing stuff that finally hits the television that, that you have time to see it at night and it's it, it was in the morning. Yeah, it's a lot to keep up with and, and especially now with social media. You know, back in the like seventies, eighties, nineties, it wasn't such a big thing. But now when you have social media, I mean people are posting it and you get up the next morning before you even watch it and you see it. Uh, you know, even if you don't get a chance to watch it. Yeah, and there were some moments. There's a great moment with Sean White. There was a great moment with the uh snowboard cross, the the forty year old that you know, he he won with a 36-year-old Lindsey Jacob Ellis. So, yeah, old people winning is always good for me and you because, you know, oh, yeah. that, that's our yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, that's our people. Yeah, no, I'm waiting for a 60-year-old. I just turned 60. So I'm waiting for somebody to turn 60 and win in a medal. I, I'll really be excited about that. Hopefully we got some more good stuff to talk about by next week. Some Cougars win, some Rockets maybe doing something. Somebody doing something. I mean, just it, where it's not Groundhog Day with the Rockets. Just give me that, Stephen. That's all I yeah. want. Give me a game where, oh my God, Jalen Green's turned, you know, he scored 35 and, you know, may, maybe this is where he starts to take off or something. Yeah, like gosh, but 35, I mean, even that would look good right now, Robert. Just just something, <laughs> I, I just give me something, but just stay with us. We're going to keep banging away and hopefully we're going to have some baseball to talk about this year too, because that would suck if we didn't have baseball. But uh, until next time, hey, at least enjoy this beautiful Houston weather this weekend. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.